0: you're listening to Megiddo Radio, Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megidoradio.com. That's megidoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Monday, the 18th of April, 2022. Thank you all for tuning in. On this, and it's going to be podcast only, as the next few programs are going to be, Uh, for the next few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be doing as many programs as we can before the end of April and then May, June, we're not sure. Again, just to remind people who are not aware, I will be available for a call from a congregation from the 1st of May. Next, and as soon as a call comes in, I the the program will be gone and there won't be any more recordings and things like that. So if I suddenly disappear after the 1st of May, that's what's happening. Now, to be honest, there's no regular programming. You can probably notice yourself that sometimes I don't always do a program every single week. It's kind of only when I have some spare time and um and pray for me because look uh, this program is obviously not the priority now the the it is one of the greatest responsibilities ever to be given a charge over congregation and that will be the main thing and and what will be prayed over and seen about will be what will serve the needs what will glorify god what will serve the needs of the people there and then we can see if this program continues to serve within that. And um, I think it will, um, probably at some stage, but I have to be open to the fact that maybe it won't. So, uh, so pray for wisdom on that. But either way, it, it will be a while before the program does come back, if it does indeed come back at all. So I would be looking for maybe about 6 to 12 months from the beginning of that before i would even consider coming back to the program because the work requires that much focus and attention and uh getting to know the people and things like that so um if you would pray for that i would really really appreciate it okay on two topics because we've got a lot to cover over the next however many programs <laughs> there are before now in the end there's we finished in the Larger Catechism. I kind of want to get as much as Larger large Catechism done as possible. Uh, please email any questions to me. Get a radio at gmail.com. And um, I will check. It's not an email I always check. But um, when it comes to... Issues relating to the program. That's probably the best one to get me at. Let me get a radio. It's m-e-g-i-d-d-o radio at gmail.com. So we finished on the last program. The last program on the larger catechism on question 99 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, which was dealing with the moral and eternal law of God. The moral and eternal law of God summarized in the Ten Commandments. Um so, we're going to start with question 100 and go through it. Uh, if you do not have a copy of the Westminster Larger Catechism, you can probably find this online. And there's a number of websites that have this. So, just Google Westminster Larger Catechism. People often ask me, well, people have asked me over the years sometimes, you know, what book brought me towards Reformed theology. I don't think there's any one specific book but if you are new to the reformed faith and you regardless of there's a lot of good books out there no doubt but you can you can do far worse than reading the westminster larger catechism to understanding what the reformed faith is um Sometimes even in the confessions, they will consider what they don't believe. We don't, we re- reject this, this, and this. But the catechism is so, especially the larger catechism, is so thorough and clear and, and it answers a lot of great questions that people have quite regularly. And hopefully, I imagine a lot of the questions that you would probably have about the Reformed faith will be answered in the Westminster Larger Catechism. So, especially when it comes to to the moral law, the Ten Commandments. So this brings us on, the last program is very much kind of a, maybe an introduction, bringing us on to what the Ten Commandments are, written with the finger of God, and the the difference between that and the ceremonial law and the judicial law, which is the, the, the de- certain death penalties, not every single death penalty was just given to Israel alone. Um, the death penalty for murder was given to all nations, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. But that's prior to the nation of Israel and the giving of the law to them through Moses. Also, so I would encourage you, right, if you are confused on this, And you are not a person that sees a difference between that law written in the heart of man and we create an image of God. Of course, he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. righteousness. So that, that knowledge, that law written in man by God and that law also written with the finger of God on tables of stone tablets of stone summarizing the Ten Commandments and the positive laws such as um, the ceremonial laws the ceremonial laws are important in themselves but they have been abrogated but the the moral law or it could also be called eternal law because it doesn't change it never goes away It is the very character of God. Then I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last program, The Moral and Eternal Law of God, episode 475. And perhaps, hopefully, that will help with that, because it's vital that you see the difference and so that it's not like you're kind of going, you know, first three commandments. Yes, that's definitely for today. Oh, the fourth commandment. Oh, not. It's all the Ten Commandments, and there's very good theological and um, clear scriptural reasons why that law, that unchanging, eternal, and moral law, summarized in the Ten Commandments, and also summarized in the New Testament, that same law, same law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as your strength. And now, now, what we'll probably get done today is probably the first one of that those summaries in the New Testament, which is the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And perhaps we will call this is what loving God looks like. And that's kind of what the first four commandments are. The first four commandments are very much about what it looks like to love God. The second table of the law, what it looks like to love our neighbor. So let's get into the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, Question 100. What special things are we to consider in the Ten Commandments? Answer, we are to consider in the Ten Commandments the preface, the substance of the commandments themselves, and several reasons annexed to some of them, the more to enforce them. So basically the, the preface are kind of introduce introducing two of the the substance of the commandments themselves, we're to consider that especially when you look at Exodus chapter 20, and then also the several reasons annexed to some of them. So it give you reasons for them. Uh, for example, the the fourth commandment, we're told for God created the earth and created in 6 days and it ties it right back in Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11 I think it's down in verse 11 it ties it right back to creation week and it tells you that's why it says remember the sabbath day to keep it holy because going right back to creation week the ten commandments themselves tell you the reason for this it's not the first time by the way that the sabbath was kept the sabbath was also kept as we see in Exodus, before the giving of the law was kept in Exodus chapter 16. And it dates right back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We are to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. And as imitators of God, we are to imitate him in his what are called communicable attributes. Communicable attributes. Notice what are incommunicable attributes, things that we're not all-knowing, we can't be like God in that sense. We can't be like God in being omnipotent. All pre- you know, the things that make God, God. Uh, in the sense of all-powerful. We can't be all-powerful. And we are not to imitate or follow him in that sense. That Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 talks about. But we are to imitate him in his communicable attributes. And one of those ways is repeated by First Peter. Chapter 1, verse 13. I think it's verse 13. Be ye holy, for I am holy. So God is saying to them, and it's quoting from Leviticus, I believe. I am holy, so you be holy too. And we are to be like God in that sense. Because he is the very standard to which we will be held up to morally. That's what we mean by communicable attributes. Now, question 101. What is the preface to the Ten Commandments? The preface to the Ten Commandments is contained in these words. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, wherein God manifesteth his sovereignty, as being Jehovah, the eternal, immutable, and almighty God, having his being in and of himself, and giving being to all his words and works, and that he is a God in covenant, as with Israel of old, so with all his people, who as he brought them out of the their bondage in Egypt, so he delivereth us from our spiritual, through all them and that therefore we are bound to take him for our God alone and to keep all his commandments now let's go through this speaking of the preface um, it gives the preface I am the Lord thy God which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage now because of who he is he is the one to whom we are to obey to listen to and he can give these commandments i am the god which has brought you out of the land of egypt i i saved you i delivered you and you are here because of me probably another way of, uh, another very uh imperfect way of saying the same thing i brought you out of the land of egypt i brought you into freedom you have freedom here now serve me And here's what serving me looks like. He showed his sovereignty. In that deliverance. He's eternal immutable almighty God. As the catechism says here. Having been in and of himself. And being uh, all his words. um, Yeah. So. He's deliver us. From. Bondage. From oppression. From the cruelty. Of the enemy. And he's set us free from that. It's a picture of course. Of our spiritual delivery. From the oppression. And the cruelty. And the the taskmaster. Which is sin. Delivering us from it. And. We are bound. To him alone. By the way. We're bound to him alone. Regardless of whether we're still. Under that. Yoke of sin or not. We're all bound to him. But we're certainly bound to him if he has set us free. If if we are, if we've repented of our sins and trust in Jesus Jesus Christ, he is our Lord. He is our master. And here is his Commandments. It says in the commandment here, so he delivereth us from his, from our spiritual thraldom, and that therefore we are bound to take him for our God alone and to keep all of his commandments. We are bound to keep all of his commandments. Now, you also have to think about that. People get very, very nervous about that to think, oh, that's legalism. We don't have to keep all the commandments. Jesus kept all the commandments. No, we are still bound to keep all of his commandments. Now, do we fail? Yes. But that is still the standard to which we strive towards. We we live idealistically, as in we are striving always to live like Christ. Not some lower standard, but to be Christ-like. No, do we fail? We also live realistically, as in we sin. And every time we sin, we should repent, of course, but it shouldn't crush us because of the fact that we are trusting in Christ and Christ himself kept the perfect standard of the law and we can always come before the throne of grace because of him. Not because of us, not because of our works. Our works are but filthy rags. So we have to always strive for perfection but we always have to realize we won't get it and we may struggle with that but that is what we're supposed to strive toward if we only measure up to the standard we set for ourselves because we can't meet up to God's standards will will we ever have to grow in repentance and faith You'd have to say no. So we we do strive. So we we are still bound to keep the commandments. And it's very dangerous to go down a route of antinomianism where we say that we have no law to obey because, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says to those who say to him, Lord, Lord, have we not, and it lists out a number of things that they did, you lived kind of summarizing down, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, depart from me you who work iniquity you who work lawlessness now the way of saying you lived as if I gave you no law to obey antinomianism is dangerous, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments It's not like he's saying, well, you have to keep the law in order to be saved because they're already sinners. They're already in trouble. It's Jesus' perfect work that saves. And we need to trust in him and in him alone. The law does not condemn, but the law becomes a guide of life to how we should live. It's no longer something hanging over us condemning us but it becomes a glorious thing because it's the very moral character of god we should also love the law of god love the law of god question 102 what is the sum of the four commandments which contain our duty to god so the sum of the four commandments we're talking about the first table of the law the sum of the four commandments it says here in question 102 containing our duty to god is to love the lord our god with all our hearts and with all our soul, and with all our strength, and with all our mind. So again, this is not a new idea with me or anything else like that. To so love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as summarized in the New Testament. Not By the way, this is not the first time it was summarized like that. Summarized like that, like that as well in, in other parts of Scripture. See if we can get... A scripture reference, and the answer: Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. But this isn't a new idea. God is love is another way of you know people people quote in these aberrant movements. I think. Um, I'm trying to remember that Amnesty International some of these groups ever put the sign God is love but you know people will say God is love it's pretty common even people who don't believe in God and that's another, wa- another way of summarizing this same Ten Commandments the first table is love toward God the second table is love toward neighbor it's the very moral character of God God is the very standard of love God is love and love what does love look like? <laughs> the Ten Commandments. And then contrary to the Ten Commandments is not loving. It is not loving. People wanna people want their own standards of love. They don't want God's standards of love, which is what it means to be loving in the first place. Now, we to the first commandment. So, to understand what love is. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus said. Question 103 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, which is the first commandment. The first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, we need to dig a little deeper, don't we? Because... A a person who professes to be a Christian will often say, well, I keep that. Um, Let's go a little deeper. Uh, Question 104. What are the duties required in the first commandment? Answer to the duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, "...highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him, believing him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks, and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him, and sorrowful in anything he is offended." And walking humbly with him, it's quite a lot, there, isn't it? We might think, well, as long as I don't, I'm not an obvious idolater. I keep the first commandment. We have all failed him in this area. We've all broken the law of God. It's one of the. Re- it is the reason Jesus came. He came to glorify himself, of course. Yes. But he came to save sinners, not good people. Lawbreakers. You shall have no gods in my presence, almost. That's almost the sense of this, before me. And the duties required of this... Are more than just negative; they're more than just don't do this. Now, when you see in a commandment, for example, the commandment to not murder, "Thou shall not murder." Also included in that is the the positive of that, which is to preserve life. It's not enough to just say, "Well, I didn't kill anybody," so therefore, it did you not. Know, this is a summarization. Of that aspect of the law so it is not just that you're not an open idolater but by the way in an absence of love toward God you have idols you, you love other things before God and in not having other gods before him you positively love God so that here are the duties now these are explained in other parts of the scriptures of course But let us see this concept of here's the negative. we have no gods before him. but it, it, it's not just a vacuum. There's a positive duties that are requ- that are required in the first commandment which are knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God. And because if that is not true, well there will be other gods before him. we, will, we, we have been creating we, have been, we are worshiping creatures. We will worship someone or something. And if we do not worship and acknowledge and know God, we will worship and acknowledge a different false God. We have to acknowledge him to be the only true God, our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. To worship and glorify him as the only true God. In our thinking. Meditating. Remembering. Highly esteeming. Honoring. Because if we don't honor him. If we don't think. Just taking honoring here. We won't be able to stop at every single point. But honoring God. If we don't honor God. We we. We, we see other things as more valuable and we will have other gods before him, valuing him. A son, it says in Malachi 1.6, a son honoureth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my... Name, where is mine honor? And in that vacuum, you know, it it will be replaced. If if we do not worship the true God, we will worship a false God and we will break the first commandment. Honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing of him. If you don't fear him, if you fear other things, we're breaking the first commandment. Believing him, but do we believe what he says rather than the enemies of God? Do we believe what he says rather than our own sinful hearts? That can come up into the first commandment. So you see, friends, keeping to the first commandment is not as simple as we might think. Trusting, hoping, delighting do we delight in because we delight in so many things do we delight in god and if we don't delight in him in this sense that we depend upon him and we love to go before him again we are worshiping creatures and we will delight in another false god rejoicing in him being zealous for him calling upon him prayer is so important depending upon him is part of this Back to our answer, giving all praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole man, being careful in all things to please him and sorrowful when in anything he is offended and walking humbly with him. Just fleshing out that part where it says, and sorrowful when in anything he is offended. He is offended, Jeremiah Thirty-one eighteen. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastened me, and I was chastened as a bullock, accustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Now, if we are not, if we're casual in our sin, If we are not taking it seriously, and we're just not, when we're not sorrowful at that moment, when we disobey him, we serve a different master at that point. We can be genuine believers, and this happens, right? And we sin, and at a certain point, now, of course, if we're genuine believers at all, we will be chastened by the Lord, don't get me wrong. Um, But there can be times when we, we can be kind of callous toward our sin, and not sorrowful in offending him, and not walking humbly with him, then we break the first commandment. So, all the commandments are so important, aren't they? We need to study all the ten commandments, because we think, oh, I'm okay in this area. Maybe I'm not so great in the fourth commandment, but the first commandment, I'm pretty good. We might think that we are, but we're not. We need both the law and the gospel. I did it in another program. Oh, was it a few months ago? I'm trying to dig up the number so somebody can look it up if they want to uh, about preaching of the law and the gospel. And uh, it, it wasn't my ideas. It was from a book called *The Pastor*, which is published by Banner of Truth, and in Banner of Truth they published, it had previously been published before, but what they summarized it down to was a number of uh, addresses, sermons I think were preached, by old Princeton, Princeton Theological Seminary back in the 19th century, and I was honing in on one chapter in that book, excellent book, I'd recommend any person in the ministry or thinking about the ministry or whatever to read that book. But one chapter in particular was on the law and the gospel and preaching. And um, I talked about it, it's an ep, but it's actually, whoa, it's a long time ago actually. (laughs) It's 20 programs ago. Episode 457, The Law and the Gospel and Preaching, Archibald Alexander. So you can find that on Megiddo Radio if you want to listen to that, megiddoradio.com. Now, in that episode, talked about how the use of the law and the gospel, and and here is the law, and we need to see how we fall short, don't we? Regardless, even if we're, yes, especially if we're lost, we need to see uh, that our great need of Christ, who kept the law, but say you're born again, you are a Christian, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, even then. We need to grow in an area. We need to see how far far short Oh, I fall, fall short in that area. And we need help. And that's where we are strengthened by the gospel. The gospel then is healing balm to us. Because Jesus kept that law in that place where we are woefully deficient. He strengthens us. He enables us through the spirit of God to be more like him. And to be changed and conformed. And to rejoice in that law as well. So we study the law. We see how far we fall short. And in the gospel we, we, we see the the beauty of that law. That law we can't keep. But that law that was kept in Christ. It goes... From something, maybe you could say unpleasant. Maybe you could say, "Oh, you know, I fall, I fall short here," but we find grace to help through Christ. We need the law as well. Yes, we need the gospel. Oh, yes, we need the gospel. But unless a person sees his deficiencies, unless a person sees that he falls short, well, the gospel is... Um, he he doesn't... A sinner doesn't see his need of the gospel of grace until he sees the, gospel, the law. Now, we continue as Christians to study the law, as we're doing here, that we would grow to be more like him, not to earn his favor with God, that has been done by Christ, but to grow and to show appreciation and to have greater fruit. And in the evidence that we've been changed in the first place, and as that happens, as we changed more and more, the blessings that brings in bringing greater assurance in your walk with Christ. If there's not much fruit from your life as a Christian, if you are kind of treading water or going through the motions, that's going to impact your assurance of salvation for many, many people. And that's why some people, everybody's different, of course, that's why some people, yes, saved, but will massively struggle in this area. The answer is not to ignore the law. The answer is to study what Christ has done With the punishment due to the law. He's taken our punishment. And what he has done. In obeying it. Positively. On our behalf. And how he has clothed us. Washed us. And out of that. The more we study it. The more it makes us thankful and grateful. And the more it makes us not trust ourselves. And the more... our hearts cry out and say, you know, we belong to you, O Lord. And the more we see we belong to him, the more we will be assured of our salvation. And the more we will have strength from the Lord, the more we depend upon him in times of difficulty and struggle and trial. These areas are connected. We need to know the law of God. And what Christ in turn has done for us. Now, question 105. Whether the sins forbidden in the first commandment. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are. And I think some of these might be a bit more obvious than the first question in question 104. So, if this is new to you, perhaps go online, type it out, maybe print it off and read it a bunch of times. Because the negative side, which is kind of summarized. Remember, summaries are summaries. (laughs) They're not everything fleshed out. But question 105, what are the sins forbidden in the first commandment? The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism, in denying or not having a god, idolatry, in having or worshipping more gods than one, or any with or instead of the true God. And not having and a vouching him for God and our God. The omission or neglect of anything due to him required in this commandment, ignorance, by the way, ignorance is not something that gets us out of trouble. We don't have any excuse for our ignorance of God because the heavens declared the glory of God we know from knowledge within us and all around us, we've broken the law of God, the true God of heaven and earth. Even apart from reading the Bible. That knowledge is enough to condemn us. Forgetfulness, it says in the Lutheran Catechism, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, Bold and curious searching into his secrets, all profaneness, hatred of God, self love, self seeking, and all other inordinate and immoderate setting of our mind, will, or affections upon other things, and taking them off from him in whole or in part, vain credulity, unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair encourageableness and insensibleness under judgments hardness of heart pride presumption carnal security tempting of God and just to pause there a second there tempting of God basically has been testing God it's a um to give you an illustration just say a minister doesn't Do any preparation for the pulpit and says he's just trusting in the Holy Spirit and he's not doing any preparation for the sermon. Well, that's testing God. Um, If you leave your front door open in a dangerous area and you leave all your riches and your money right inside the front door on full view in a very, very dangerous area and you say, Well, I'm trusting God. Well, that's not trusting God, that's tempting God. Trusting God uses ordinary means wise means of doing these things And, and you see this throughout a lot of old testament books where this wisdom is applied anyway so there can be ways we test god or tempt god in what we're doing continuing on the answer here this question 105 using unlawful means trusting in unlawful means carnal delights and joys, corrupt, blind, and indiscreet zeal, lukewarmness and deadness in the things of God, estranging ourselves and apostasizing from God, praying or giving any religious worship to saints, angels, or any other creatures, all compacts and consulting with the devil, and hearkening to his suggestions, making men the lords of our faith and conscience. That's an interesting one. Making men the lords of our faith and conscience. Especially when it comes to, make, you know, they command us to sin. And we obey them rather than God. That's a violation of the first commandment. Probably something we should have probably thought over the last two years, sadly. Slighting and despising God and his commands. Resisting and grieving of his spirit, discontent and impatience at his dispensations, charging him foolishly for the evils he inflicts on us, basically complaining about a lot in life, I suppose, and ascribing the praise of any good we either are, have, or can do to fortune, idols, ourselves, or any other creature. So if we think the good in our lives comes from random chance, fortune or idols or something else or it comes from ourselves and not from God then that's a violation of the first commandment. This is why at our dinner table we should always give thanks to God because it didn't come from our hands. It came from God. He who, who gave you strength in your hands? Who gave you that job? Who, who gave you that car so you could drive to the, the, the supermarket? It, it's all from God. Who kept you alive long enough to get to this point? God. It's all of God, and it's all of grace. Question 106. What are we specially taught by these words before me in the first commandment? And I mentioned this earlier, so probably won't go into massive detail, but it says these words before me or before my face in the first commandment teach us that God, who seeth all things, taketh special notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God, that so it may be an argument to dissuade from it, and to aggravate it as a most impudent provocation. As also to persuade us to do as in his sight, whatever we do in his service. So we're doing it before him, if we do have any other gods. or It says, or before my face in the first commandment. God sees everything. There's no way of hiding it. Um, And it's the greatest unfaithfulness and betrayal to God in committing this great sin in front of him. Remember This idolatry that we do, it's it's before the face of God. He sees all. Question 107, which is the second commandment? Just kind of see how we're... We may, we may, we may may get down to the third commandment. I don't think we'll get to... I think I'd probably like to spend a program looking at the, the sabbath alone in terms of yeah i think it might be a good idea but we'll we'll see how things go with that so question 107 which is and keep my commandments. That's basically quoting from Exodus chapter 20. Verses, uh, what, 4, 5, and 6. So question 108. What are the duties required in the second commandment? So, often, before we get into this answer, often the second commandment is highly misunderstood today much more than it has been historically. And you see this, sadly, in Christian publishing, where similitudes or things that are representations of Christ are common. Massively common, and part of that reason is we're woefully deficient in our understanding of the Ten Commandments of the law of God, and largely we have become very, in parts of the church, become very antinomian. Other parts of the church perhaps have overcorrected, and there's always going to be a degree of legalism in all sorts of places, but probably mainstream and you could say in the publishing arm massive degree in antinomianism when it comes to the second commandment and this is to do with any representation of god it's not just to do with physical statues or whether they're 3d or two-dimensional or whatever it this isn't the point of it the point of it is this we form from our fallen minds an image or a view of what God is or who God is or what he looks like or whatever else. And when we do that, we make that image an object of worship because it represents who we see him as. There's no possibility of removing who he is from that picture. Or that image, or that representation, it would not be loving if I drew a picture. Just say somebody's you're married, and I drew an ugly picture. An ugly picture that I say represents your spouse that you love. Now you say, well, the pictures aren't ugly. Yes, they are, because they have a false representation, a distortion because they do not show the perfections of Christ, they fail miserably. And they are formed from the minds of fallen men. And they corrupt by us watch looking at them. I will, as little as possible, try to gaze my eyes upon them because it will corrupt how I would view God. And That's why, out of the midst of the fire, Moses is told, you saw no manner of similitude, lest you corrupt yourself. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 12 down to verse 16. There was no form or similitude out of the midst of fire. You heard a voice, but you did not see a a similitude of... You did not see a likeness or a shape of something that could be carved or images or whatever else like that, lest you corrupt yourself. Once we think falsely upon God, once we invent who he is and invent a way of worshipping him, which is connected to who he is, then we have violated and broken the second commandment. Again, the statues and all is a way of summarizing. If you look at the other nine commandments, same thing. There's a summarizing that takes place. So, with that in mind, and thinking about that, and thinking about our topic today, what it looks like to love God. Images are teachers of lies. I think it was Thomas Watson who said that, and we do not want lies of the one we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what's at stake. It, it, It does not matter what that similitude or representation is. They teach lies about our God, the one we love, the one who says, don't make them or don't allow yourself to be corrupted by them either. Question 108, what are the duties required in the second commandment? The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, And keeping pure the entire, all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath instituted in his word. I'm just going to stop there. This has to do also with how we approach God and how we view God will also have to do with how we view him. How we worship him is how we view him. And because we're fallen... And we're finite creatures and we are but dust. We have no right to invent or bring up or, or create any form of worship from our own minds. There's a multitude of reasons why we should not. We are there to imitate him. And for something to be pure and holy in such a way that we can approach before him, it must be according to his revealed will. His revealed will. Continuing on with the answer, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, hearing of the word, and the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God, and vowing unto him, as also the disproving, disapproving, sorry, detesting and opposing all false worship. False worship we should hate. That's it. I quite like this. Well, is it commanded in the law of God? It's like, no, but I like this. Well, I, 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 I'm sorry, but you've broken the second commandment. You love the inventions of another man's mind, contrary to the law of God, in approaching him in worship. Continue on, question 108. And according to each one's place and calling, removing it, we are to work to remove it, and all monuments of idolatry. All monuments of idolatry. So we are to remove any false worship, any false way of viewing him. It is only to be according to his word. To his word. And that is the essence of the second commandment. How far short does the modern church fall in this area? Massively. And I would go so far as to say they don't care. Much of the church does not care today. And they're just happy. As long as you just believe in Jesus, that's all that matters. But what does love toward that same Jesus look like? What does it say when we say we don't care about what people believe about God and how he is to be represented? It doesn't say something that is good. It should be something that would concern us. question 109 what are the sins forbidden in the second commandment the sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising counseling commanding using and any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by god himself No. I probably more, I should be emphasizing also the regulative principle of worship, the regulative principle of worship where God is to be worshipped according to his revealed will and not according to the inventions of man's mind. And to come up with your own form of worship or to continue on a tradition which is following on something not ordained in the word, not commanded in the word of God, then this is also a violation of the regular principle of worship demonstrated in such passages Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Nadab and Abihu were killed for for offering false worship before God. And also, tolerating a false religion. Roman Catholicism is a false religion. How many tolerate false religion and say try to be apologists for it while also being evangelicals friends this is serious business we are we might say i don't understand that i'm an expert on that that's fine we don't tolerate false religion they do not worship the same god as us because they do not have the same gospel and it says in the answer and making any representation of god so no images any representation it does not again it doesn't matter what the image looks like as any representation of god of all or of any of the three persons Of all or any of the three persons. There's not. and I think I've even seen some laxness. When it comes to God the Father sadly. Either inwardly. In in our mind. Or outwardly in any kind of image. Or likeness. Or any creature whatsoever. All worshipping of it. Or God in it. Or by it. And making of any representation. Of foreign deities. And all worship of them. "...or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices corrupting the the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented or taken up of ourselves or received by tradition of others, though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever, simony, sacrifice, all neglect, contempt, hindering and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed. So anything that is against the worship and services that God has appointed, that's a violation of the second commandment. Any promotion of false religion, any promotion of false worship is a violation of the second commandment. Now, What are the reasons annexed to the second commandment? The reasons annexed to the second commandment. The more to enforce it contained in these words. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments, are besides God's sovereignty over us and propriety in us. His fervent zeal, for his own worship and his revengeful indignation against all false worship as being a spiritual whoredom according to the breakers of his commandments, such as hate him and threatening to punish them unto diverse generations and esteeming the observation of it, such as love him and keep his commandments and promising mercy to them unto many generations. Now, to summarize down, That answer in question 110. Probably going to have to finish here. Unfortunately, we won't get to the third commandment. Apologies for that. We'll see what we can maybe do later in the week. But the reasons for this is this. I'm a jealous God. God deserves this. And the sin of our idolatry and iniquity will be visited upon our families. Now, you see this, don't you? This has nothing to do with the kind of charismatic idea of generational curses or anything like that. This is to do with this. We know that our sins are going to be, you know, even in similar things, our sins are copied often, aren't they? By our children. And our false worship will have devastating impact upon the children. Often, professing Christian families are judged in their families with their children. The consequences of trifling with this Look, if, they're, if your children are saved, it is by grace, by grace alone. But the consequences of trifling with this, of who God is, are devastating. He would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. But at the same time, the mercy of God, the mercy of God goes far beyond that Condemnation. So it talks about the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Uh, by the way, what does love look like? Commandment keeping. What does ha- hatred of God look like? Hatred of God looks like re- re- commandment breaking. Commandment breaking. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. It's not because they do this, but here's what they look like. And those people who love me and keep my commandments... They love me outwardly. They show that love of God in keeping the commandments. And they have been the recipients of mercy. And that mercy is unto thousands of them that love me. And keep my commandments. There's such great mercy and those who love god sincerely love god i would dearly love dearly love to go into the third commandment um, yeah i think we'll just leave it there if you have any questions on what we have covered in this program today get a radio at gmail.com thank you so much for your continued support and your prayers. Again, it's very hard to say what is even happening over the next few weeks, but I'll keep you posted. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.